Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. And welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we're, what do we do here? Where we break down what is going wrong. And, That's but also, my part, my part. No, 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 we both, we both. What is going wrong, what also is going right. We always add a little positivity to the mix for your listening pleasure. Happy Thursday. We're recording this on a, another rainy Thursday. It has not stopped raining in this city, and that has stymied my ability to take my baby on a walk. You, ha- I, I saw a mother today. I am not one for inclement weather. I saw a mother today driving a child small enough to fit in what basically looked like a miniature pup tent on the back of her bicycle in the rain this morning. And I was like... You were like, that's definitely not Eliana. <laughs> it was definitely not Eliana, but I, was, I said something that I often say in Washington, D.C., white people. Oh, my gosh. Like, have you no more sense than to, it's like, well, it's raining. Maybe don't put my tod- don't strap my toddler to the back of a bicycle <laughs> to roll up 6th Street. Maybe this is the day to spend the 550 on the Uber. But remember in New York City when they had those like bike, the bike share, bi- the, the city bike share. No, is like a bicycle trolley, bicycle with like a rickshaw bicycle. Ri- yeah. yeah, but basically when it poured, those were the only things available. So you'd be like in the back with the rain pelting down a little plastic thing that was over them. Oh my god! Well, no, see, I, I for me, the rickshaw I can't take because I feel like I'm too large. <laughs> that I get that I will get in the rickshaw and I will kill someone that they will be trying to take me somewhere. Have a heart attack. And they'll just die. And they'll be and I'll be like, there was no weight limit. They're like, you should have known. You should have known. I'm the I'm the perfect size. Oh, they see Very you coming. They're like, that, yeah. all right, get in. I'll take you. You want to go around the park? No problem. <laughs> uh all right. Well, Chris was just going off about how his teenage son is like Mm-mm. Very obsessed with Cor- Korean barbecue Mm-mm. and having his birthday party there, and which I thought was so cool, and I kind of want to get in on it. You're, you are welcome. Everyone here, not you people, because I can't. I don't have that kind of money. I may be able to afford an Uber <laughs> on a rainy day, but I can't. I can't have literally can't dozens of people, our, our massive listener base, to come in. But yes, it, it is coming up, and I'm looking forward to it. That is true. And one day you. We'll get to look at your daughter as a teenager, and you'll be like, that what, That was fast. They told me it would be fast, but it's very fast. We now approach, mm-hmm. just taking out the newspaper, shaking it out, leaning back in our chairs with our cups of coffee that we both have, our front page. And we have something hot off the press. Breaking news. Breaking news. Came in with not just pastry, Quite literally, my husband texted to me as I was sitting down in this studio. Thank you, Patrick. I know what he's doing right now. <laughs> sitting sitting at home on Twitter. <laughs> he, he helps you out. Me. He helps yes. you out and you call him out. <laughs> <laughs> Slash watching our child. Yes, there you yes. go. Keeping, keeping a human being alive for you. Um. Uh, Dean Baquet, mm-hmm. dropping him like they're hot Who's at Dean the New York Times, executive editor of the New York Times. He's the boss. He is dropping a memo to New York Times staff about Twitter. And this is a leaked memo to Insider? Yes, leaked to Insider, Business Insider, Insider, whatever, calling for a Twitter reset. Chris, I find them found the memo very confused. Well, uh, first at first they, blush, yes. it seems to be beseeching employees to use Twitter less. At second blush, it seems to be well, give empathizing. Them a blush. I will, I will. It seems to be empathizing with the plight of the online harassed. So he starts saying, colleagues, for some time I've been hearing serious concerns from newsroom colleagues about the challenges that Twitter presents. Yes, yes, okay. And we um, should. If we it, need to reset our stance on Twitter for the newsroom, so we're making some changes. Done, for, done, done. So, for some, let me just interrupt briefly for context. The Twitter problems at the New York Times are legendary. These are famous Twitter problems, 
your favorite character in the play. Nicole Hannah-Jones. Well, there's Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is just awful on Twitter. She's just the worst and wrong. Often in error, never in doubt, Nicole Hannah-Jones. But also the the fighting between the former, now of the Washington Post, what's Taylor Lorenz. Taylor Lorenz and her, and her very public Twitter spat with Maggie Haberman and all of that jazz. So the, the, when Dean Becquet says, there has been uh, some discussion about, it's like, yes, there has been some discussion everywhere. He's subtweeting. Yes, exactly. Subtweeting his, his minions. Quite right. Okay. So he says, being on Twitter is totally optional. There's a lot of reasons you'd want, you might want to step away. We support you. And he doesn't say like, he says, reduce the amount of time you're on Twitter relative to the amount of time you spend doing other parts of your job. Yes, and I which think, is hugely you know, right. Three cheers for that. Here's the part that I am more skeptical of. He gets to, Chris has a whole like explanation for this. Second, we're announcing a new, may, a major new initiative to support journalists who experience online threats or harassment. And he goes on how seriously he takes these attacks. You know, they're totally committed to their, to, our colleagues' sense of well-being, safety, their ability to do their jobs. They have a whole dedicated team to support Times journalists. They're rolling out new training and tools to help prevent and respond to online abuse. I mean, all of this language is basically like a word cloud of like HR. Yeah. Basically just thrown into this memo. They're providing more details. And then he says like, third, you know, don't swipe at your colleagues and undermine them on Twitter. So I found this to be sort of confused. Like, are you, for the people who are relentlessly online and get harassed, you have all these resources. At the same time, don't be so online. Stop getting in fights with your colleagues online. Like, what is this memo really about? So what he's saying is worthwhile and important. He's saying, get off Twitter. You're spending too much time on Twitter. And there's two problems. For those of you who don't, we have a whole department here. Well, that's that. So, so the the in organ in institutions like the New York Times, which look, let's be honest, yeah, nobody's going to heed this the, advice. The so. past two or three years have been a real disaster about newsroom culture at the New York Times, and with people, we know the Barry Weiss story about basically being hounded out of the newspaper. We know uh, the aforementioned Taylor Lorenz drama and the New York Times newsroom is is very much was presenting itself as a place where the inmates were running the asylum and that young people on the staff were exercising veto power over the choices of senior editors, were forcing people to lose their jobs, were driving people out. of. So this was like a problem because it is, whether you like it or not, America's most influential newspaper. And this is a serious problem. So here is Dean Becquet, who seemed to not be able to do anything, taking what is clearly an affirmative step towards reasserting some control. And that's where we disagree. Okay. Because I think because the inmates run the asylum there, he will write this memo. It will have no impact. There will be no change because I do not think that they have the fortitude. First of all, like what is. He's setting no line in the sand here. No, he's not setting a line in the sand. And so, like, what is the change? Can can I see it again? Will you bring it up for me? Chris, you're the person with dignity here who doesn't have an insider subscription. So Uh. (laughs) I will share with you my screen. So he says, we rely too much on Twitter as a reporting or feedback tool. Yes. Which is especially harmful to our journalism when when our feeds become echo chambers. Yes. We can be overly focused on how Twitter will react to our work to the detriment of our mission and independence. We can make off-the-cuff responses that damage our journalistic reputations. And for too many of you, your experience of Twitter is shaped by harassment and attacks. It's clear we need to reset our stance on Twitter, blah, 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 blah. First is now – so the first change is previously you were required to be on social media. there was a requirement. Sounds like it is now, he says, purely optional. Which I think sounds significant. No, no. No? Just tell me where's the part where they're going to, like, yank the leash on Nicole Hannah. If you choose to stay on. So basically, if they say you probably get off. This is like the Apostle Paul's recommendations about marriage. If you have to, uh, do it this way. If you choose to stay on, we encourage you to meaningfully reduce how much time you're spending on the platform. Encourage. 
Mm. I know we all need to strengthen I'm our commitment. Scared. Second, and then here's your the, the second one is the support part. So the first part. Anyhow, if I was an employee and I got this, I'd be like trash bin. Doesn't affect me. Doesn't affect. So my you're life. you're a hundred percent right that it won't matter unless it matters. Right? It won't matter unless people get in trouble, unless there are consequences for bad behavior, and. It's like we were talking a couple of weeks ago about CNN's effort to reboot. Sometimes change is too hard, right? Sometimes change is too hard, but sometimes change happens. And sometimes institutions take necessary steps to remediate problems. And for Becquet, I just I would just say the second part, the flummery, the safety culture goofiness, where it's like if you feel squidgy, then you can go talk to our team of and you realize and I say this with love, what a bunch of Ivy League, Ivy League dinguses are populating the newsroom of the New York Times where people need all of this safety language and that everything will be okay. I'm reminded of our best story of 2021, which was from the Yale, what's the Yale newspaper? The Yale Daily News. The Yale oh, yeah. Daily Daylight News. Savings Daylight Savings Time. Yeah. Hit, har, Daylight Savings Time occurs. Yale students' hardest hit. So I think the second part of it is basically cooing at safety culture and telling people that they'll be okay so that he seems like a nice guy. Well, the one thing I think will probably, the one thing I think they could crack down on is the you don't undermine your colleagues and fight on Twitter, which, I mean, bummer. I liked that part. <laughs> well, I liked it as a way to look in. But the thing, the part of it I like the most is Twitter rots the brains of journalists. I don't go on Twitter because it is a rotten place and it has rotten incentives. And if I was an editor, if I if I was an editor at the New York Times and I was watching my reporters dump their stories on Twitter all day long, oh, this just in, this blah, blah, blah. It's like, hey, put it in the newspaper. That's what the, that's what we have the whole newspaper for. And Elon Musk, I think now at Twitter. I don't know which direction the company is going to go, and I don't know any of that stuff. But I can tell you that there is increasing awareness, as reflected by this, that for political people and for journalists, Twitter has been a disaster. And it has it has created the wrong incentives, and people are waking up to it. And remember, never tweet. That I totally agree with. That is... My advice to reporters at the Washington Free Beacon. Yeah. And this is I what am, you tell your just people. Just like Dean Beck, hey, I am routinely <laughs> dismissed and ignored. Oh, I'm at their peril. Whoa. Well, I have said, I have just said to them, like, if your tweet causes me a problem, I will just be forced to show you the door if you, you know, you ignore me. Woe wo, wo betide yes. the, the Beaconista who disregards yeah. the chief's orders. But that is, speaking of, Taylor Lorenz. Not judicious use of social media. We had, I was telling Chris, I almost feel bad about talking about this now, but not bad enough not to talk about it. The the MSNBC segment on Washington Post journalist Taylor Lorenz, in which she broke down in tears about her experience of online harassment. So the, and, and who, what MSNBC, what show interviewed Meet her? the Press Daily, but let's play a clip of that show. I've had to remove every single social tie. I had severe PTSD from this. I, I contemplated suicide. It got really bad. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating. My reaction when I saw that online was like, why is this news? This is, whoa. This yeah. is, this is emotional. I, when, when you shared it with me, my first thought was just, this is a person who's really struggling in life. Like this is, th I, I feel. This is not right. Yeah, this is this, this is it's emotional exhibitionism, and but it's it, it felt a little wrong to be watching, even though I know we've made a lot of fun of her on this show. Yeah, but why is this on national television? And she obviously doesn't have the judgment to decline these interviews. But like, why is the Washington Post like putting this person out front? Why is MSNBC putting this person on the air? Like, it is not right. Well, it, it isn't, and and then her. Washington Post colleague, Felicia Sanmez, who 
similarly. And 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 I I put her in the same category of like I don't know how much of it is performative and I don't know how much of it is real mental illness. But either way, I feel really weird about talking about it because neither of those if it's any part of it that is performative or phony shouldn't be given attention because this that's is what, like institutional rot at the post for yeah. like saying you are fit to be employed and put out front yes uh, at our and i'm sure that if the post af- after this after and basically what she's saying is that you have ruined her life i think is is what <laughs> is what she said yes. you and people like you the people who are mean to her on twitter i have never even tweeted at her i just the washington like, what are you doing on twitter we have had several yes, discussions and i've been and, and i include has. myself i include Free myself in has this had much that I I have been Loren. part of destroying Taylor Lorenz's life by uh, making fun of her. And I do now feel bad, not for the reason that she wanted me to, but I do feel bad for having made fun of her because she's obviously unwell. And I, I'm sorry because mental illness is a real thing. So, and I'm not making any diagnosis. This is basically what she's saying about herself, right? She's, yes, she said that she's very depressed. She contemplated suicide. Yeah. I mean... So for me, that it's like, okay, this is rough stuff. So she goes on MSNBC. MSNBC is very obviously trying to give her a favor. Like, they're tr- they're not trying to hurt her. This is not a gotcha interview of any kind. Well, she then turned on them. Exactly. And said, how dare you put this on the air? You did it all wrong. I mean, the whole thing is like one one spectacle after another. That she's the real victim here. And One th- embarrassing spectacle. And, after and then her post colleague came to her defense on Twitter. Just as Dean Bacay would have wanted her. To Felicia Sanmez then comes to her defense and says, you people who are doing this to a Taylor are wrong. And these things shouldn't be, you know. And I'm just struck as I'm watching all of this personality. And this is a real through line for me in journalism. Personality is easier than news. News is hard. You got to send people to Ukraine. You got to sometimes take physical, you know, sometimes physical risk is involved. You have to do real research. Like news is hard. Personality is easy. And I think in the case of Taylor Lorenz, it is indicative of you, there have always been personalities at newspapers. You have a columnist, you have a whatever who is a little bit larger than life personality. I have played that role in my life and I got it. But personality is should not replace news it should there should be a little personality goes a long way this should be the bitters in the cocktail not the main ingredient and i think it's it's time for serious newspapers to understand that people like people who are in mental distress and people who engage in this kind of performative behavior on twitter are not good for newsroom culture they're not good for credibility and it by the way isn't even fair to the individuals. Giving them a position like this is not even fair to the individuals because they're obviously not able to handle it. Next. Next. A cancellation. Oh, yeah. You know more. So this this was interesting. A woman named Amber, Amber Athey. Athey writes a piece about where she accuses her, I guess, employer, was it her employer, or did she? Was she yeah, just she a was guest a host, host on WMAL? She was. She was a regular host. Okay, here we go. She was. She says she was officially hired by WMAL, which is the conservative talk radio station yes, in Washington, exactly, which is owned by Cumulus Media. In the fall, as one of three female co-hosts of what's his name, Larry O'Connor. Yep. Larry O'Connor and company, the morning drive time radio program, which used to, by the way, be hosted by Brian William, Brian Wilson. Remember that? Yes. Ron Wilson, formerly of Fox News, but gutter helmet. But the she says that she, because of a tweet that she had about Kamala Harris, what did the tweet say? The tweet was about the brown suit that Kamala yes. wore for the State of the Union. Yes. And she tweeted on the night of the State of the Union, Kamala looks like a UPS employee. What can Brown do for you? Question mark. Nothing good, apparently. So she says that two officials from the company that had her on the once a week slot in the morning drive time show fired her uh, and explicitly and she says in quotes that they said it was that the tweet was racist i don't i, I don't i haven't seen obviously i haven't seen any reporting because i hope i hope there's not reporting on what happens to the 
one of three co-anchors on the morning drive time show, but I don't know whether the company would agree with that. But I don't think if, if what she said is true. So Cumulus Media owns WMAL right. and she was canned, according to her. And it's and, and said it was racist. And I don't I, I understand how a person could. And I would have to see it in context. But I, I would have to I can understand how a person would see the brown, a brown, brown, brown skin, brown. What can brown do for you? I, I can see how a person could misunderstand a tweet that was offered in, in as a just a good faith joke and how they would think that it was racist. I, I, but that tweet's not racist. It is ridiculous. On its on its face, it's not racist. That is ridiculous. And but also never tweet. And yes, exactly. Ugh, I'm like so exhausted of talking about this Hunter laptop by this point. I'm sorry, Believe what it or not, did you just I know. Say? Believe it or not, but I mean I guess we have to talk about this Washington Post. I've been editorial. talking to you about this. I know, I year. know. Okay. So on Saturday or Sunday, I think it was April third. It's today's Thursday the seventh. So Monday. No, Sunday. Yes, I cannot count. Anyways, I wasn't a math major. We get an editorial from the Washington Post. Opinion, the Hunter Biden story is an opportunity for a reckoning. What is the what reckoning about what? Okay, here's the key quote from it that I will read to you. What's more compelling than the assorted accusations about the Biden's behavior is this question. And it is the question, Chris, that we asked on last week's Inkstained Wretches. Why is confirmation of a story that first surfaced in the fall of 2020 emerging only now? Because as you regular listeners will remember, uh, the Washington Post had a story last week that was how we confirmed the authenticity of the Hunter Biden, you know, laptop. Back to quoting, when the New York Post published its blockbuster exclusive on the contents of a laptop said to have been abandoned at a Delaware repair shop by Hunter Biden, mainstream media organization balked at running with the same narrative, yada, yada, yada. But goes on to say, you know, it's asking this question and it basically says, yeah, this was a fail. Well, uh, good for them, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the editorial board pointing out. Um, it's it it's a pretty there. mild tisk tisking. Well, I have tis- to say. I mean, yes. when you're tisk tisking your own newspaper, the tisks will be a little more muted than they will be if you're talking about somebody else, right? That's that that stands to reason. But I think good for so them. So they say this is what I kind of didn't like. the 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 conclusion is the lesson learned from 2016 was evidently to err on the side of setting aside questionable material in the heat of a political campaign. I'm not really sure that. Is that the lesson learned? Well, no, I think 2016. Are they? They're saying that was the lesson learned, not that it should have been the lesson learned. But I I read that as an endorsement of the. Let me see. Because they they then go on to say the lesson learned from 2020 may well be that there's also a danger of suppressing. So, yeah. so they're saying that should have been the lesson learned from 2016. I'm not sure. No, no, like, no. They're, they're saying this is what the lesson learned was in 2016. In 2020, we had to learn the lesson that we had applied that. There's a danger of suppressing yeah, accurate and had, relevant stories. And I, I would just say this. For the Washington Post, that's good. Yeah. Right? It's fine. That's good. And you, I got to give people credit where they are. Like, people, I don't I don't want to demand. It was fine. I'm going to damn with faint praise. Okay. <laughs> it was fine. But essentially, I wanted to talk about this, even though I'm like, oh, the laptop, ugh, because it's a trend. We're seeing a bunch of organizations basically, you know, one to two to three weeks after they're like, okay, so the laptop is real. They now are doing the reckoning I, of, whoa, we got it wrong. I think we're in a period, and not just in journalism, but I think we're in a period where in a lot of spaces, people are rethinking some of the excesses of the past six or eight years. And good The you know, Rui Teixeira had a piece in a national. Of, if, here's a sentence that we would not have yeah. said that we that 10 years ago, we no, no one would ever think of saying. So Rui Teixeira, who is the, the very great Democratic demographer who wrote the book with John Judas, I think. Is that right? Yes. Samantha is giving us the yes that called the Emerging Democratic Majority that said why uh, a diversifying country was good news for Democrats. It was broadly overinterpreted, blah, 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 blah. And Rui Teixeira is mad at his fellow Democrats for a radical wokeness agenda and an anti-patriotism that is 
he correctly has concluded is alienating those voters that were supposed to be part of the emerging Democratic majority. And so the sense that we wouldn't have said 10 years ago is Rui Teixeira's really good piece in National Review <laughs> was not something we would have said before. But there are more and more voices in media and politics and other places that that are here to tell us that these excesses have gone way too far, oversteering, and it's time to come back to some sort of normal place. So Morning Joe did the same thing. They're like, oh, whoa, we got it wrong. And I wanted to play that clip because it's a, it, it annoyed me. Chris, you will love it because it's right up your alley. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, the left got this wrong and the right got this wrong. And I'm, here we are just sitting for- happily in the center. And I wanted to play the clip. It is like so Steyerwalt TM. Let's let's play that. Yeah, so I think that there were mistakes on both parts, mm-hmm. right? Um, let's start with the laptop because that's the thing, you know, the laptop, the laptop, yeah. right. all right? So, so Rudy Giuliani takes this information and even Fox News says, this isn't good enough for us. We're not going to go with it. People forget about that, that Rudy Giuliani actually went to Fox News and they said, we can't verify this. We- now, I will say, usually both sides are wrong, right? Isn't that true? In this case, did- I do. I do not concede that, Chris. <laughs> also, here's here's what I take issue with with Dan Abrams' analysis. He's like, well, what the left got wrong is they made no effort to do any reporting at all. Like the left, like the New York Times, the Washington Post, like right. they made no effort to do their their jobs. What the right got wrong is they overhyped the story, and it's like. Yes, the right is supposed to overhype stories that are damaging to their well, political opponents. No, like, but, they're not the same. But the New York Post is not supposed to overhype stories that are damaging to its political opponents because theoretically... They did not overhype the story, the Post. Well, I'm saying... But like, you know, freaking Newsmax and One America, like, yeah, they're th- that is on brand for them. They're supposed to, like, take a bad story for Joe Biden and run with it. The New York Times and the Washington Post are not... It is not supposed to be on brand for them to totally ignore newsworthy stories. Well, why wouldn't it if if that's the true if that's true for right media, why wouldn't it be true for left media? Um like if that's what they want I, I do expect that of them. It is on brand for But them. I, but I don't think that either side should be doing those things. I don't think that No, what I think is okay, I expect the New York Times to take a damaging story for a Republican and completely run with it. Okay. Okay. I expect like the corollary. What I'm and you expect and you expect them to also sit on stories that are harmful to Democrats. Uh, that's true. Okay. Uh, so so everybody acted but, in this but, case but, as you expected yes, them yes, to yes, act. That's true. Is that the right media overhyped yeah. and the mainstream media squatted upon? And look, no, it's not for nothing that you think that because there's plenty of evidence on both. If 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 you'll allow me and Dan Abrams again, there's plenty of evidence on both sides throughout time. I love that you and Dan Abrams are grouped together here. I I don't know how that happened, but yeah, I I think that I I I, I think this if if I can pull the light motif blanket a little further in hopes of cohering this, the move to take ownership for mistakes of the past five years, I think, is on. And I I welcome it. Or the past two, so seven years now since the Trump got rolling in the summer of 2015. So uh, good. What about, oh. Speaking of right weirdness. This is what I want to know. You got your story here about Jen Psaki. Oh, yes. Yeah, tell me about this. I found this amusing where... Jen Psaki, next big host on MSNBC. And that's confirmed? That's really happening? She's going there. She says it's confirmed it's happening. It's happening. And the Times, the New York Times writes this up. And I found the write-up eyebrow raising. They say that, that Psaki has taken tough questions about this arrangement mm-hmm. from some folks in the briefing room and they note that Kristen Welker of NBC says how is it ethical to have these conversations with media outlets while you continue to have a job standing behind that podium but the times itself in its like narrative of this does not say there's a conflict of interest here like they do not write one single line about it 
And in the meantime, like a couple hours after the story comes out, Saki says she's recused herself from any dealings with M- with NBC or MSNBC. So, in fact, like she's acknowledging the conflict of interest there. I just found it incredible that The Times does an entire write up of this and does not write about. This. Yeah. But what I want to know is, is she going to be good on TV? Yeah, I think she'll be good. So is she going to be an anchor? What's she going to be? She's going to do a show on MSNBC and one on Peacock, the streaming network. I don't know. I mean, Dana Perino has has is good on TV. She is good at being on television. George Snuffleupagus is, uh, I find him awkward on TV, but I guess many people must like him since he makes a quadrillion dollars a year at ABC. Other than that, any other press, secretaries press? Well, I love that basically the Times is like, oh, well, you know, everyone does this. There's George Stephanopoulos. And then they like stopped there because he went straight from the White House to but and Dana Perino. To, to ABC. But did she go straight? She No, she yeah. stopped off in the publishing world for a minute. Yeah. But, but uh, who else? Are there any other? It's it's mostly Kaylee McEnany. The other way around, isn't it? Kaylee McEnany. Is she an anchor somewhere? Well, she's at Fox. But she's not like an anchor. They she go anchored, become an animal. She anchors. She anchors Fox and Friends, I believe. Let's look that up. Clearly, I'm not watching. But I'm not talking. I'm. I'm no longer here talking about the ethics part. I. I see the point on the ethics part. My question is: Will Jen Psaki have the stuff to hold down 44 minutes total runtime? Like it's so f- like like only the geniuses of our world are getting. No, no, it's like hour long time it, slots. It's not about genius. So genius helps. If you're really smart, it can help to be on TV. I mean, basically, but it's personality can have like an hour long show. But you have to be a dummy with personality who can hold the air. Being anchoring TV Ugh. is hard. Is hard. It it's not hard, uh, but it requires a specialized skill set. Do you think she has it? I don't know. I don't know who. It's like I can see her being an improvement on Andrea Mitchell. <laughs> and I don't mean like you know what I mean. But it would be too bad for her if she becomes a... Jen, you will be an improvement on the 85-year-old... Oh, come on. Andrea Mitchell... Correspondent. Whatever we say about Andrea Mitchell, every day... I don't know if she still has her show. She does. But every day, obviously, there's a point of view that's present in the reporting. You're not apparently a regular viewer. No, but there's there's a point of view in the reporting. But I think she and Chuck Todd both fall in the category of people who are, like, trying to observe some basic journalistic I standards. I never lump those two together. <laughs> uh, anyhow. I don't know who, who should be insulted in that pairing. Chuck. Oh, okay. All right. We have at um, my outlet, The Dispatch, Steve Hayes, and I have not talked to Steve about this, had some thoughts about the Federalist's Molly Hemingway and her thoughts on... Mitt Romney's soft stance on pedophilia as a result of his decision to support Katanji Jackson Brown for the Supreme Court. And I don't know how the final vote's going to go. It may be happening as we're recording this. got her name this. wrong, which... Katanji Brown Jackson. Yes. And I, I, I suffer from the Jonah Gold, because Jonah said it, and now I can't shake it, is that I think of the singer Jackson Brown. Oh. And so I... I love Jackson Brown. I cannot tell that to... Uh, tell that to Daryl Hannah. The, but what was so? What did she say? So Molly Hemingway said. Well, she was picking up the attacks that Ho- Josh Hawley and some of the was also, senators were trying to level at her, which was that she didn't give uh, strong enough. Which 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 was roundly roundly refuted. Stupid. Which was roundly refuted. Andy McCarthy at National Review first, but many other very credible voices said that she was not, that Brown Jackson was not out of the the ordinary on this stuff. But there is a new thing, and it's Marjorie Taylor Greene, the woman who is Ron DeSantis's press secretary. Christina Peshaw. Is her name really Peshaw? I think that's how you pronounce it. Peshaw. Peshaw. That people who don't support Florida's ban on certain types of sex ed at certain ages... Well, it's not really certain types of vague guidelines about sex ed in schools and people who oppose that, people who support Judge Brown, Judge Jackson, is that they are soft on pedophilia. And it's a weird leap. And so Molly Hemingway says, and she quote tweets, again, never tweet, quote tweets Mitt Romney, who said that she's going to support, he's going to support Jackson. And I believe he did as he supported her for the uh 
D.C. Court of Appeals last year. And Hemingway says the only new info since he voted for her a few months ago was an increased awareness of her, quote, soft on pedos approach, <laughs> which makes this. I think that's what tipped the scales for Romney. It was like, I didn't know. But once I heard she was soft on pedophilia, uh, soft on pedos <laughs> approach, which makes this new Romney position super interesting. And oh, my God, it's super interesting. He like you would have never predicted he would have been one of three pub- yeah. Republicans to cross super, the aisle. It, and and it, it, Kanji, it must so. be endangering children. And here's and this echoes something from a Marjorie Taylor Greene tweet. Let me see who who tweeted first, the chicken or the egg. Looks like they were about the same time on the evening of April 4th. Marjorie Taylor Greene said Murkowski, Collins and Romney are pro pedophile. Now, again, not to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene, because don't talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. But this is this is the narrative out there. And Steve Hayes then. I hate talking about Twitter this much. Then quote tweeted Molly Hemingway and said, why is it super interesting? Say what you mean. Enough BS. And he did not say BS. Are you suggesting Mitt Romney is a pedophile or just pro-pedophile? And then he called her a coward. And this kind of fighting between, and she's the boss. Ben Dominich is out completely at the Federalist now. So she's the boss at the Federalist. And Steve Hayes is the boss at the Dispatch. And I know I'm partial here. Is he the co-boss? Oh, yes. The, this is right. Jo- oh, hail, hail and praise also to fearless leader Jonah Goldberg. That was a microaggression to Jonah. Jonah, I've, I've, my, I, I don't microaggress with Jonah. I macroaggress. I go, I go, I go straight after. That is a throwdown I would pay to see. It would just be a lot of urgent talking and cigar smoking. But the thing for urgent the- Urgent th- talking. Just high pitch. We'd get higher pitched. As we got more excited, we'd both end up talking like this. But- Steve, who is one of the leaders of the the dispatch, clashing with Molly Hemingway here, I see is probably uh, the shape of things to come. So they'll probably the 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 fault lines and right wing media are are present, and I think we have new entrants, and we'll be tracking that over the month. We, we will be tracking these schisms over the months to come. Oh, we should have. By the way, we should have. I would love to get. Charlie Cook or Rich Lowry from your old stomping grounds at NR on here to talk about that stuff as the legacy outlet. That would be a good. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Okay. We will do that. I have a lot of interview ideas, actually. Well, you're a pretty big deal. Um, oh, I, I just wanted to mention just be, before we moved, a couple of things I wanted to mention before we moved on to my favorite item of the week. One is just keep a prayer for the Austra- the Australian journalist who was just subjected to a show trial in China. She was there working for Australian television. And it was, they had a trial behind closed doors after 20 months that the Chinese have kept her in prison. Her name is Cheng Li. Keep a prayer for her and keep a prayer for all the folks out there who are really struggling to practice good journalism in the face of a lot worse than mean tweets. And a a little bit of good, another good news, the total number, this is from a Pew report, Pew Research report, total number of U.S. state house reporters rises. So we have an actual, after years of the decimation of state house coverage, there's an increase. They point out that that's a lot of it's stringers, but that's true in everything. So like, that's the deal. But there are more people covering state politics for news outlets today than there were a year ago. And that is the first positive news we've seen on that kind of thing for a long time. So keep it going. Chris makes me do a favorite item of the week. We should also get to have a least favorite item of the week, and this would definitely be mine. No, this is the greatest item of the week. Oh, my God. Please tell. It's all of the nonstop, what do you call it, jawboning about the COVID infections at the gridiron dinner. What is the the gridiron The gridiron is like, it's like a more exclusive White House correspondence dinner. It's white tie and tails. It's a white tie reporter's dinner that's supposed to be funny and it's long and it is funny and yeah it's funny and you I get to see and you and get to see famous people from television do goofy skits people it's washington yeah you no know, what the, um what clarence page anyway. you are famous to me sir you are famous <laughs> to me well our very own samantha goldstein went well but i'm Sam, worried who did you wear who did you wear <laughs> but i'm worried i'm worried that we're in the studio with samantha because the yes. real news from the event. Was oh my gosh! They we have had like 400 
news articles and all of Politico Playbook today about how people got COVID at this dinner, which means like you went and some of you have the sniffles. Reading reading the thing, it's like they sat for hours across narrow tables. And, and the tables <laughs> yeah. are set up to look like a griddle. They're long tables. Right. Yeah. They're set up to look like a because it, it's singed, don't burn and blah, 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 blah. It's it's corny and, and sweet. But the they were sitting across these narrow tables for hours. Whispering to each other. Whispering to one another. Changing air. And, and then it's like Biden administration officials hit with COVID. And here is what I hope that reporters take from this. Case rates are not a worthwhile metric for coronavirus in the United States anymore. Case rates mattered when there were not vaccines. Case rates were super important information to have when there was not a reasonable way to deal with it. Now we have not only vaccines, but we have antivirals. Oh, my God. They're like Kamala's comms director is congested. Exactly. But it, but it's also like Wild how, how many cases, how many cases. But the real answer is, was anybody hospitalized? Did anybody get sick? Did anybody miss work? No. And I, I just I what what I was struck by this was here is the press being because obviously the the self-loathing media the road invariably leads back to and isn't it our own arrogance to have events like these that causes people to get infected with coronavirus and are we living up to our standards I'm for literally yawning, like, right ugh. and 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 the point is no ugh. what you have to do is start applying a right standard which is let's look at in, not infections let's look at hospitalizations let's look at serious cases that's what to track People are everybody. Everybody's going Delta, or not Delta, but Omicron. It's all it, it's all happening. Well, big news for us, Eliana Johnson. We have our first advertisement for Ink Stained Wretches. The fever, it's the Wretches nice. fever, is sweeping across the world. Literally, again, dozens of people mm-hmm. excited about this, and it is from the Spectator magazine, the longest running magazine in the world, and it choose identity politics in favor of intelligent conversation and thought. I think that's true from what I've seen, from the war in Ukraine to the ideological war in the classroom, from the rise of inflation to the rise of cancel culture. The Spectator has been dedicated to stimulating reporting and analysis since 1828. This is London or UK Spectator now. It's American version. We are talking about, yes, the U.S. edition of The Spectator that is uh, relatively new and bringing the same high-quality writing and analysis to U.S. audiences for the first time. I like that the ad copy uses a very Britishism-sounding phrase. It has just newly come ashore. Come ashore. Like it is in a jaunty, in a jaunty boat that uh, washed up upon the shores. They have uh, books, book reviews, travel, food, wine, which we will get to later. We have much on food and wine. I think they're not probably thinking Cheesecake Factory, which I have many opinions on. But, 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 but for real food and wine, go to The Spectator. Sorry, we're not trying to declash you, uh, uh, Spectator. But, Eliana, is it possible there is a special offer for listeners to, of Ink Stained Possibly. Riches? Possibly. Okay. Tell me more. Sign up today and you'll receive three free months of the print magazine and full digital access plus swag, a go free on. Spectator hat. What kind of hat? What what kind of hat would I a think free a bowler hat? hat? What kind? What kind uh, of hat would the spec? Would you imagine the spectator would have tricorn bowler? I don't know. All you have to do is go to spectatorworld.com backslash special offer. That's spectatorworld.com backslash special offer, and use offer code Inc. I N K. I like it. Off? Huh? We've got an offer code I N K Inc. And the spectator. I do. I've been impressed by their efforts to enter the normal part of the conservative media world. I think that that's what we're doing at the Dispatch. I think that that's what a lot of outlets are doing. And the more voices and the more insight and the more seriousness that we get over there is a good thing. So sign up today to get your three months of The Spectator and your free hat at spectatorworld.com backslash special offer and put in ink at checkout to get the offer and think fondly of Chris and me that's, here at Ink Stained Wretches. That's spectatorworld.com backslash special offer and enter your code, <laughs> Ink. It is that time Yay. for our Obsessions of the Week. Where we break down the stories 
that we can't get out of our heads. Chris? I, w- I wanted, and I, I will talk about this at some point today. We're, we're recording this on baseball's opening day. Let's go Redbirds, obviously, and Boo Cubs. So the I wanted to talk about how sports gambling is affecting coverage and everything, but I will save that for a later time because I want to not pass up this piece from Vox. Just, and I'm going to keep it brief because we're running a little long today, but this piece from Vox about Elizabeth Warren, and it's under the headline, Elizabeth Warren's plan to break up big everything. Subhead, shame on Congress for not sucking it up and doing what needs to be done, the senator told this reporter is Sarah Morrison. And let me read you the lead. Senator Elizabeth Warren loves talking about antitrust. In fact, she says, she can't think of anything more fun to talk about. Antitrust is not a topic most people associate with quote-unquote fun, but the Massachusetts Democrats' passion for it is entirely believable. It's not just the excitement and earnestness with which she talks about competition laws and how to change them. It's also the fact that she has been talking about it for years, longer, in fact, than many politicians who talk about it now. Now, this is, of course, barf, right? This is like, this is... If you're right, if you're if you if you have a lead about any politician is, that is like this, and it's not a it's not an opinion column, get get out of here. But I point to this because of the terrible and dishonest. The coverage of Elizabeth Warren is more terrible and more dishonest than maybe any other politician, or at least in a positive way, right? Like there's dishonest attacks on a lot of politicians that are built into coverage. But this cult of Elizabeth Warren, where you remember her, do you remember Elizabeth Warren's slogan? There's a, she's got a plan for that or something like that. Yeah. That came out of a newspaper story. The coverage of Elizabeth Warren, where she is, huh, she's so square. She thinks it's fun to dig into antitrust laws. Elizabeth Warren is fundamentally unserious on a host of issues. This is a woman who rewrote the foreword of the book that made her famous to run for her presidential campaign. This is a woman who has taken myriad positions on myriad subjects. She is the Democratic Ted Cruz. She, I'm sure, is smart. I'm sure she's all Ivy Leagued out. I'm sure it's all that stuff. But she is a very ambitious politician who is always looking to say and do something to get there. But somehow she manages to continue to get the kind of coverage that says, all she, what can she do? She's just a she's just a policy nerd trapped in a political game. And this and this phrase, what do we have? Oh, breaking news from Samantha the super spreader, who probably has given us coronavirus too. Nancy Pelosi has tested positive for COVID nineteen. Choppers are currently Samantha, circling. How many feet were you from? Yeah, how the speaker? Please and please exhale into this paper oh. bag. <laughs> <laughs> but in in conclusion, in conclusion, Elizabeth Warren's the slavish, positive, goofball coverage of Elizabeth Warren that is best summed up in the phrase, the Massachusetts passion for antitrust law is entirely believable. If you're ever using the phrase entirely be- believable, make ch- check your priors. But this is a problem that the press has, and it's their Inability to talk about Elizabeth Warren is what she is. Rump. All right. My obsession is it's an Axios item, but Axios also had the item that amused me the most, which is their top political reporter, Jonathan Swan. He interviewed Mitch McConnell this very morning. And of course, Axios, they love branding things. And so they were promoting this. They were promoting this Swan McConnell interview as two masters. (laughs) <laughs> tune in to watch Jonathan Swan interview Mitch McConnell. And so I've just been telling people that anytime I do an interview with someone, I want to be it to be promoted as two masters. I think we just got our title for today's episode. Two masters. I think two masters is definitely <laughs> the title. Because that's, that's you and me every good. week. Every two week. Masters. Two masters have, met, um, have convened again. To take our craft to the pinnacle. It was so awesome. I'm taking that forever. So Axios had an item this morning on this lame Edelman, the PR, the big PR company. They do this trust barometer and they find they have to pay like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to find done, done, done. Trust in media hits new low. 
Okay, could have told you this people this for free. And it's a real poll. Yes. Well, you will link it. Okay. But who does the I smell, headline? I, don't I smell think, a YouGov. Media trust hits new low is the Axios headline, and I will read a bit from it. For the first time ever, fewer than half of all Americans have trust in traditional media, according to data from Edelman's annual trust barometer shared exclusively with Axios. Trust in social media has hit an all-time low of 20%. These numbers are echoed across the rest of the world. And I loved this part. Media outlets can continue to report reliable facts, but that won't turn the trend around on its own. Here's what's needed in their estimation is for trusted institutions to visibly embrace the news media. Huh? Yeah. I What does was that mean? Extremely puzzled if trusted institutions would only embrace the news media, then everybody would trust the news media. I think there's been only too much embracing of the news media. That's- so so weird. And yes, I think this decline is in trust is in large part a function, and they do not say this, of the news media, the mainstream news media getting it wrong a lot, and consumers seeing an obvious political motivation in much of what's reported both in the mainstream and in, like, the right-wing press, and it's obvious to consumers, and there's a lack of trust for that reason. Also, just I will say, as a poll snob, this looks like the, 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 there might be some way to do it, but I don't feel like Anytime you have a a special carve out for low response rates in Nigeria, uh, your poll may not be on equal on equal footing uh, around the world. And I would just say, as a rule of thumb, with this kind of coverage, anytime you're looking at a poll of global attitudes, be very very skeptical that you are getting because it's we know how hard it is. Are you are you, are you saying like trust in news media may well? Be oh no, AI? but you don't need a poll yeah, to tell you that there's lo- there's low trust. Oh, I wanted to ask you one thing before yes. we. Before we went on to the to the the dolce to the dolce to the yeah. before we go on to the there. sweet question, the Washington Post sent Josh Dawsey down to Mar-a-Lago uh-huh. for what was described as a forty-five minute interview, like Donald Trump t- uh, with Donald Trump. Now Donald Trump takes forty-five minutes if he is before he brushes his teeth, he talks for forty-five minutes to set it up and talking about the greatest toothbrush and all these other things. So he goes down and does a 45-minute interview with Josh, and he does a 45-minute interview with Trump, and it's, like, loaded with the breathless detail. And then so-and-so walked in, and then so-and-so was here. I have a question, and this is true for right-wing and mainstream media. Are these interviews with Trump interesting anymore? No, not to me. I just, I I'm, I thought the Post, I'm like, really? Like, we, we're flying somebody down to Mar-a-Lago to get Donald Trump's insights and on Scott Atlas's weight loss. Trump is apparently proud of Scott Atlas for having dropped some LBs. That's, that's. And like, who, who, who cares? I, Trump, the, the lead, the headline from the story is that he says he didn't have a burner phone and that he didn't destroy call logs. But later, if he says that he did, no one will be surprised if he reverses himself. I just think snore. All right. Our reader mail. Time. We are going into the mailbag, and I really loved the email that we got from Edward. And by the way, please write us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. But I wanted to give a shout out to Edward, who writes, love the show. So impressed by Eliana's composure in the face of Chris's lib squishery. The guest spot by rock-ribbed Tiger Mom MK Hammer was one for the books. Keep dropping those loons in your bin, Eliana. Well, kudos to you. Thanks, Edward. Kudos. Thank to you, you, Edward. Chris. Was there any? Was it? Were you? Was was this the only mail that we had this week? No, no, we got plenty <laughs> of praise for you. Oh, but, I, 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 I see how it is. Out of the bag. Selective. It, somehow those letters got stuck to the bottom of the bag. I see how it is. But yes, you you are you are great. And the, I did listen to. I went back and listened to you with Mary Catherine, and it was lovely. Great to hear you guys together. Chris, it's that time. Where you force me to say something nice, but I genuinely love my item this week. I know. I know. It's dark. You go. Well, I just wanted to give a shout out to Brett Baer for his interview with Ukrainian President Zelensky. Getting the interview, booking the interview, 
it helps Fox's reputation. It helps the other people trying to do real news at Fox. Keep it up. It was Let's a good a interview. Let's L- play a clip. Live it up. Table. Do you believe that President Biden wants Ukraine to win or that President Biden and his administration fear Putin's reaction if Russia loses? I have faith that President Biden, like any true American citizen, believes and wants uh, the truth to win. And the truth is on the side of Ukraine. Okay, what what is the dark what is the dark space that you will take us to for your favorite item of the week? All right, I loved this New York Times article with the headline. I'm going to pull it up cuz this just made me smile. It was how married bachelor couples make it work. Yes, some are still together. And this is people from the show The Bachelor. Yes. And the subheadline is as the Bachelor franchise en- enters its 20th year, Still married couples who met on the show and The Bachelorette discuss how they've built lasting relationships. Now, I believe there are precisely four of these couples out of out of the 20 years. And you mean that people who uh, meet on reality have con- have Congress in hot tub rooms as part of their date speed dating do not have a high frequency. Pe- people chosen on the basis of adventure dates and hot tub room visits do not have a super high share of lasting marriages? I don't know. Well, this was a great piece. And I am super into this new show called The Ultimatum on Netflix. And it is all of these couples where one member of the couple wants to get married and the other isn't sure. Tell them who the host is. The hosts are Nick and Vanessa Lachey. And so they put all these couples together and they can all date members of all the other couples where one member wants to get married and the other isn't sure. And by the end, they have to decide, like, are they going to get married or are they going to split? But I just do like the idea of an ultimatum because I think too many people stick around when they should be like, you know what? This person isn't ready. Like, lickety if you, split. If, if you don't know that you want to get married, don't get married. That is, I'll give you, I, I give you well, a real easy one Well, I think many women in particular, like, just stick around and, oh, he'll come around and yada, well, yada. Yeah, and it's because like, guys, no, he is not going to come around. Well, and like, because guys split. play the game where they are like, oh, yeah, baby, I'm totally going to do that later, but not I don't right even now. think that they say that. I think that they're like, oh, we'll, you know, move in and. Right. Da, they t- right. They take the, well, they take the ball to the two yard line. Yeah. And then, exactly. they're, and then they're like. Yeah, but this is good. I like this because I'm not actually married to you. So but- I am like all for women basically being like, I want to get married. I want to have kids. You know, here's where I, I'm on a timeline. I mean, not on the first date or anything, but, you know, also not after like 18 months or two years or I don't feel like they have to be like coy and wait five years to say these things. I'm no. all for putting right out there and women, women, issuing that ultimatum. Women, women have different considerations than men in these matters and they should... Not only be forthright as you say, but also if if your man eats children's breakfast cereal in the morning for breakfast, this is a sign that he is a child. Is that he... is so ridiculous? Oh. That what? Oh. oh, if you've got crunch berries, if you're over twenty five and you've got crunch berries in your bowl in the morning, if you uh, are judging someone based on what warning the breakfast sign. cereal does he have? Dress sneakers. There's another warning sign. If you if <laughs> if, that, he is a, that is good. if he is a man that's... who has. That's Dress true. up sneakers. This That's is a true. person to avoid. Uh, we have. A, we, I, oh my gosh! Can we do a whole episode on like things <laughs> red flags or red flags to avoid? But if he, but if he's eating crunch berries Dress as in in his in his dress Air Force Ones, if that's what's happening, then Chris isn't even cool enough to know what a good like kitty breakfast cereal is. The best, the best breakfast cereal is Fruity Pebbles. Obviously, be oh that's a good one. Fruity Cinnamon Pebbles. Toast Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is too fluffy. It goes from cutting the roof of your mouth. To being a soggy mush pile, there's no way. And the the milk byproduct, so it goes fruity and cocoa pebbles one and two. Oh no, I'm not a fan of the chocolate ones. Do you not like? Did you cocoa French puffs? Toast crunch? No, no. No, I don't get no any of ones. that stuff. That's all. Oh, that's all. Gosh. That's all crazy talk. Captain Captain Crunch is like the psycho girlfriend, where you're like, oh, I it's love going Captain to shred my crunch. mouth. It's going that, to destroy the inside of my mouth. I love that. But I'm going to do oh. it anyway. Oh. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. One day we will have to discuss, and I got into this on Twitter with a colleague, 
I am very motivated to do a definitive ranking of Cheesecake Factory flavors. I can't, um, I yes, can't, okay, I can't, I can't really, I, Samantha. I don't know enough. I don't know enough. But one time when I'm out, Samantha can guest host, and you guys can. Guest I host. I am okay. One day when my daughter is old enough, I'm going to do a Cheesecake Factory birthday and have them put every single flavor out, and we're going to taste them all. I had there are a lot. I'm I have like I'm curious about some of them, but I don't want to commit to like the whole. I thing. had cheese. I had Cheesecake Factory cheesecake for the first time in my life. Oh, you're crazy! Three weeks ago. Okay, to our listeners, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Get the coconut cream pie cheesecake. It was. It is so amazing. You would think. I got one. We got one that was smart. We got my sons and I got a few and we sampled around. It wasn't bad. Not oh, too shabby. So good. Not too shabby. You know what they need? They need one with Captain Crunch. They do. <laughs> And I also have been really jonesing for. I would like them to do a carrot cake cheesecake. Look at you! Yeah. You're, you're. That's another million dollar idea. Since we are no longer talking about the news, <laughs> that is apparently all the time we have left, and that is the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast dot com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast dot com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for wretches.